Nice. Four or five of us? Excellent. That's a pretty good number. Is good okay or is good bad? Is good okay or is good bad? That sounds like a, I don't know, complicated question. That's a good question, okay? Oh! I feel really great this morning, and I just want to share that with you guys. I uh, just feel like I have the Lord's joy this morning, which is an awesome change, because um, last week, last Sunday, I was having a really, really hard time. It was a crazy week leading up to it, and um, I was sitting in the back and running slides, and I was just totally out of it. And to be in the same physical space just one week later and being just feeling so joyful to be with my friends, my brothers and sisters in here, it's just a, it's just a reminder of how, how like life has its ups and downs and God's goodness remains constant. And so just thank you so much for being with me today. It feels good to be in your midst, to hear you guys singing, to hear voices, read the catechism. And I just genuinely feel like everybody who served this morning has done a great job, except for that guy who wrote sweats on the overhead, whoever did that. It was me. I'm not calling anyone else out. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, oh man, it's, it's really good to be in your midst today. Um, I just want to cast aside any panic or fear. Lord, we have a, a sweet, sweet assurance that you are here today with us. You tell us that constantly. You've told us that you've sent us out uh, in, in what we call the Great Commission, and you say, lo, I'm with you always. Uh, from, from your promises to the nation of Israel, you said that you'd never leave nor forsake them, and your character remains the same for us, though we're not a part of the nation of Israel. You say that where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst, and sure that uh, some people think that only means in the case of arguments, but, but you are here with us. You inhabit the praises of your people, which is what we did this morning. You are here with us, Lord, and we want to lean on those promises and expect your faithfulness that that you were living up to those promises and that you're here with us. And so we want to say thank you, God, for gracing us with your presence. Oftentimes when we say that, we mean that sarcastically, Lord, but with you, it's genuine truth. Your presence is a grace to us. And it's a privilege to be with uh, friends here today who are made in your image, who look like you, who act like you, maybe not perfectly all the time, and neither do I, but the goodness that we see in others reflects just a picture, a portion of the goodness that exists within you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, if you'd like, you could turn to the passage. We're, we're going to have a brief introduction first, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37. So we're going to pick up in Mark 13, verse 28, and we're going to finish out the chapter. If you have a pew Bible today... Uh, the black ones, it's on page 850, that could be helpful, and if you have a different Bible, you can just check your index, or you can Google it on your phone, you're, you're totally welcome to read the Bible in your phone, if that's a more convenient way to do it. I want to start today by, by asking you a question, do you ever just check out? All the time. All the time? Yeah, me too, all the time. Have you ever checked out to catastrophic consequences several times me too um and you you know what i mean by being checked out and and maybe maybe you don't so let me explain it uh i mean being distracted now there, there's there's a little bit of a difference between being forgetful making a mistake and being checked out when, when i say being checked out i i'm talking about being distracted i'm not talking about suppressing the truth i'm talking about more 
like, we use this word entertainment. Entertainment is something that we use to describe the media that we consume, whether it's podcasts or Netflix or music or social media, we say that it entertains us. And the, what the word entertain really means, it means it kind of holds us still. And, and literally, it distracts us. And with, with uh, earbuds and mobile devices, whenever we get bored, we're quick to entertain ourselves, and we become distracted, and we check out. Now, in my experience, the, the biggest culprit for this is, is podcasting. I don't know if you could relate to that, but I could listen to podcast after podcast after podcast, and it just keeps me busy when I'm doing anything. When I'm walking from the car to the grocery store, I, I turn it off from my, from my Bluetooth uh, in my car to my earbuds just so that way I could be entertained on my way from my car door to pay for parking into the store. I am entertained, distracted, and checked out. I remember one time, I was, I was going to the bank and I had my, my debit card in my backpack, so I, I got out of the car, put my backpack on, went up to the bank, and I put in my headphones, and I was listening to a podcast. I get to the ATM machine, ATM machine put my backpack down, take my card out, do what I need to do in the ATM, ATM machine, get my receipt, get everything that I need to do at the machine, and then I leave. I get to my car and I realize, oh, my backpack. So I get up to the bank, and it's gone. And so I, I go to the teller, and I'm like, uh, did somebody leave a backpack here? And they said, maybe. What was in it? And I said, oh, uh, some papers, uh, an iPhone charger, probably some cables. And they're like, huh, anything else? I'm like, my MacBook? They're like, yeah, we have it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like how could I be so distracted that I left something and that I'm still paying off? I would have been paying off until June something that I'd lost because I was listening to a funny podcast on my phone. And, and I don't know if you could relate to that, but being distracted can have catastrophic consequences. And oftentimes, we put ourselves in those posi positions simply because we are bored. We don't need to do this. We don't need to be entertained. We don't need to be distracted, but we become bored, so we look for other things to occupy our time. Have you ever dropped your phone in the toilet without being graphic? That's because we get bored and we try to entertain ourselves. Being distracted, being checked out could have a range of consequences. There is texting while walking. You slam your face into a glass door. But there's texting while driving, which could be fatal. Now, in today's passage, Jesus is going to kind of talk about this, about distraction, about being checked out. And he's going to use the metaphor of being asleep. And the charge is going to be to stay awake. He's going to contend with us today that there is a form of being checked out. There's a form of being distracted that is at the height of foolishness. And we were having a good time until I brought up texting while driving, and then the room got all, ooh, yikes. Because it's a serious issue. I can see the look on your guys' faces that some of you guys are like, oh, I never text while driving. And things like, okay. Well, this is not a passage on texting while driving. But while listening to podcasts. <laughs> while listening to podcasts. Man, that's triple. Um, 
But Jesus would contend that as much as texting while driving or texting while walking, as much as those things are very, very dangerous, that, there, that there's a form of being checked out that is the worst and the most dangerous. He warns us of the greatest form of check it outedness. Look it up. It's a real word. It is not. Don't look it up. And he's, he's going to say that the, the greatest form of being checked out, the most egregious form of being checked out, is living life with ignorance of the end. We're in Mark 13 this morning, which is commonly referred to as Jesus' All of It Discourse. It's the longest recording recorded teaching in the book of Mark. The book of Mark, as a gospel, by and large, outlines Jesus' actions, where he goes, what he does, the miracles that he's performed. And, po- and Mark uses these events in Jesus' life to show us who Jesus is. But Mark takes time to record these words. And that's, that's because Jesus finds this important the end times, what we sometimes call eschatology. Jesus finds these important, and so Mark makes a prominent place in his book to record this, even though recording Jesus' teachings is not Mark's primary aim for his book. He takes the time. Now, you may not be a believer this morning, and you may not be interested in what Christianity teaches about the apocalypse. Or you may be a believer and eschatology is not really your thing. And it's easy to check out because there's a lot of ways to do this wrong. There's a lot of ways to do this wrong. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you know that talking about end times can be fear-mongering. It could be condemnation. If you are a believer this morning, maybe you have an experience of of churches putting an um, inappropriate emphasis or an inappropriate treatment on eschatology. And so when we talk about the end times, you kind of check out proverbial earbuds in, internal podcast on, hey, that person's got a nice hair tie. But I would contend with you this morning that this is incredibly important. Mark includes it, even though he doesn't include many of Jesus' teachings. Jesus includes it, even though the, the primary aim of his ministry was to come and be the propitiation of man's sin. One more point to, to emphasize how important this is, is the earliest um, books that we have write, written in, in our New Testament are the books of Thessalonians. Paul was in Thessalonica for probably about three weeks, not a very long time, but when he writes his letter to them, he starts... Uh, correcting their misunderstandings about the end times. He was only there for a matter of 20-some-odd days, and yet he took the time to educate them on what Jesus taught about the end of the age, the end of the world. Eschatology is not a tertiary issue. It's not even advanced Christianity. Jesus, Paul, Mark, all consider this as paramount. And so we too, if we would want ourselves to be in agreement with Paul, with Mark, and ultimately with Jesus, we need not check out. Now, thus far in Mark 13, 
over the last two weeks we've gone through this, Jesus has told us that the Jerusalem temple will be destroyed. And it was about 37 years after Jesus' prediction. He also says that there's going to be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, famines, troubles, but that these signs would not be the end yet. He said that those things would continue and continue, but the things, uh, what would indeed signal the beginning of the end of all things is what Daniel the prophet called the abomination of desolation. Last week, we cross-referenced 2 Thessalonians 2.4, which said that this abomination of desolation would be the Antichrist coming and sitting in the rebuilt temple, uh, claiming himself to be God. Now, when Jesus, Jesus says that after that happens, there would begin a level of trouble that the world has never seen, that would exceed tribulation humanity has ever witnessed thus far, beyond the wars we've seen, beyond the human atrocities we've seen thus far, beyond persecutions we've seen thus far, the worst of the worst of the worst, entirely different than our biggest fears. But when all of this height uh, reaches maximum, the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, will return to earth, coming on clouds of power and glory, and then he's going to send his angels to collect everybody. The end game of this existence, the one in which you live today, is Jesus' return. And because of that, because that that's the end game of our redemption, we need not check out. So let's, let's read Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts its, put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The word of the Lord. Yeah, amen. We're going to dig into this passage. Um, but before we do, I want to break it apart into about three parts, and they're not even parts, okay? So first is part one, which I'm going to call for the sake of uh, helping head this thing. Part one, what's for certain? Part one, what's for certain? That's verses 28 through 31. Jesus warns us of that there are going to be certain signs that he's spoken of, the abomination of desolation, um, great tribulation, and the coming of the Son of Man. These are what's certain to happen. Secondly, part two, what's uncertain, and that's really just verse 32. He explains that the commencement of those signs is unpredictable. It's eminent. 
and we don't know when it's going to begin. Even though we have heard from Jesus the exact sequence of events, and even a little bit of commentary of how swiftly they will, they will, uh, they will transpire, we don't know when they will begin before they transpire. Lastly, part three I've called how to live. That's verses 33 through 37. He tells us how we should operate considering both of these things in tension. One, what we know what will happen, what we don't know, and how we should live holding those things in tension. I think before we go into those, I want to give an illustration. And the best illustration that I can give to explain Jesus's teaching is to talk about uh, a callback later. Do you know that option, a call back later? If you call into a place that gets a crazy amount of phone calls, usually at a utility company or a government service, you could be on hold for hours. Do you know what I'm talking about? And now, at the height of human technology, we've come up with this wonderful option called a call back later. And the, uh, the recorded message will say, you can stay on hold if you want to. Your hold time exceeds 95,000 minutes. Or you can opt for a callback later, and we assure you that you won't lose your place in line. Now, if you're like me and you have, are a little bit OCD, you don't trust the computer and you stay on the phone for 95,000 minutes, and then you get disconnected. But if you opt for a callback later, it triggers something within you that I think is somewhat similar to what Jesus is calling us to here. And again, we'll break it up piece by piece, but I wanted to illustrate this as a capstone. If you opt for a call back later, you make sure your ringer's on, maybe you plug your phone in, you keep it next to you, and you're listening, and you're waiting for that call back later. You know that if you miss it, then you're going to be back at square one, and you're going to have another 95,000 minutes to wait. But then you go back to doing what you're doing. Maybe you're at work, and so you set your phone by your computer, you get back to work. Maybe you're doing the dishes. Maybe you're just relaxing. But you have your phone right there. You're waiting at any moment to get that call back. And even though you don't know when exactly it's going to come, you expect that it will come, and you don't want to miss that opportunity because that contact is of value to you. And I think that that's what Jesus is trying to awaken within us, but add a much, much higher cost than just saving your plot and your spot in line when you're calling for your passport. So in verse 28, Jesus says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus uses uh, a fig tree as an object lesson to liken the signs of the end times. And again, he's already gone through these signs. He says the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation that no one has ever seen before, the son of man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he says, these things are a lot like a fig tree. Does that make sense? Probably not to us, but it would have made sense to the disciples to whom Jesus was speaking. Fig trees were native there. Now, Jesus does say the fig tree, and it's led some people to think that Jesus is picking up on an object lesson that he taught a couple chapters ago. And if, if you're familiar with that, there was a specific fig tree in Jerusalem that Jesus saw, and it wasn't bearing any fruit, so Jesus cursed it. Now, some people read this, and when they say, when they see the fig tree, they think Jesus is saying, the fig tree, the one we've seen. I would 
contend with you this morning that that is not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says the fig tree, he's referring to the nature of fig trees. The same way that Solomon says go to the ant. He's not talking about, you know that specific ant we saw the other day? Go check that one out. He's crazy. He's saying the nature of ants. Jesus is the nature of the fig tree. Now, I'm not just going to have you take my word on that. Let me just explain that that specific fig tree that Jesus was discussing, the object lesson there was that it wasn't bearing fruit. Here, Jesus is not talking about fruit at all. He's saying that uh, the nature of fig trees is to show an adequate and accurate signal for the coming seasons. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with fig trees, but I am. There, there's, there's a few around the state, and I've got two on, on the uh, plot at the house that I rent. I'm not some big fancy property owner. I just rent this plot. And there's, there's, there's two fig trees there. And I distinctly remember moving in. We moved in in March, and there were these two ugly trees on the property, big, lumpy, dead, dry trees. And they were massive. And I thought to myself, in a very judgmental, highbrow sort of way, why is the landlord keeping these on the property? Shouldn't he pull these up and get rid of them? They're so ugly. Like many other trees, fig trees are not evergreens. They lose their, their leaves and they dry out in the wintertime, but they stay uglier for longer. That's because unlike most trees that um, start bearing leaves in the spring and then eventually start bearing fruit, fig trees are summer bloomers. So it, they look even worse as the other trees start becoming beautiful and vibrant and alive again. They stay lumpy and stay dry and stay barren. But right as soon as the climate is, uh, is appropriate, for bearing the fig tree's fruits, immediately it kicks on and leaves start sprouting and then soon after the fruits come. Now it's important that we understand that the reason that happens is not because fig trees are super punctual. It's because they're dependent on the exact right appointed time. And the people of Jesus' day would have understood that once the fig tree starts bearing leaves, then the summer is really here. We, we get an idea of around the, the time of the calendar when, when the weather starts warming up and becomes the summer season. But the fig tree tells us when it's actually tangibly here. And Jesus says, as surely as a fig tree will only start bearing leaves when the climate is sure for summer, so these signs will only happen when the time of the end is sure. Now he says in verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 30, Cosmo loves verse 30. He and I talk about it all the time. Verse 30 has been cause for a lot of confusion um, because Jesus says, truly I say to you, and he's literally saying, amen, I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all these take place. Um, Some people have read that and thought that Jesus, because he's talking to his disciples here, that he's talking about this generation, you guys will not die until all the things that I've described happen. 
that he's talking about people of the first century. And so we're saying, okay, well, they did see the temple destroyed, as Jesus talks about early on. Um, this doesn't ex the things that happen next don't really line up to what Scripture says the abomination of desolation is going to be. Remember, last week we talked about the abomination of desolation is when a world leader powered by evil forces sits on the throne in the temple saying, I am God. That did not happen in the first generation. How could it? The temple was destroyed. Jesus is speaking chronologically. First, the temple will be destroyed, then the abomination of desolation, then the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. How could the abomination of desolation happen in the temple if the temple is first destroyed? And then, the Son of Man coming with clouds, great power, and glory, is that describing Jesus' resurrection that we discussed this morning? I, I would say no. The, the level of power that this is describing here about Jesus coming and his angels gathering all of his elect to himself, I don't think that that describes Jesus' resurrection on the third day that we celebrate on Easter. When Jesus says this generation, I don't think he's talking to his listeners. Um, it seems to me that Jesus is describing in Mark 13, two different categories of events. One, he's talking about this first category in Mark 13, verses 5 through 13. It's in response to which he advises his disciples to not be troubled, for the end is not yet, and to allow themselves to be arrested and endure to the end. This is when he talks about the temple being destroyed, and he's saying, don't worry about that. These things have to happen. And then... When the abomination of desolation comes, his advice to them changes drastically. First, he says, don't worry about it. These things have to happen. Just endure it. Be arrested. And don't worry about what you have to say. But when the abomination of desolation comes, his advice changed. He says, run. That's verse 14. He says, don't delay. Don't gather for yourself any provisions. That's verses 15 and 16. Now, I'm not going to get into this too deep because we covered this last week. Um, but I bring this up again because I want to say that when Jesus is saying this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, I think Jesus is talking about the category two generation, this generation. When the abomination of desolation happens, the generation who sees that, they will also see the great tribulation, but they will also see the Son of Man, and he will return coming on the clouds with great power and great glory. Jesus picking up that same fig tree principle, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's fig leaves, there's summer. Where there's abomination and tribulation, there's Jesus' return. The generation that sees the abomination of desolation will also see the worst tribulation the world has ever seen, but they will also see the best because Jesus will come in full consummation of his victory over this world. Now, verse 31, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' book ends this section of what is certain with a great comfort. That not only is it certain that these things will come to pass, but it's certain that Jesus' words are everlasting. 
Again, you may not be a Christian today, and you may have hope that humanity is getting better and better and better and trying harder and harder and harder. But the evidence around us struggles to live up to that paradigm. Seems with the advancement of technology, we continue to find more and more creative ways to harm one another. As we try to resolve um, environmental hardships, we create these technologies that are then like impossible to dispose of, like the battery of a hybrid car or the blades of a windmill. Evidence says that things are getting harder and harder and harder and worse and worse and worse, and that can be terrifying to you. But what Jesus says is all those things that seem to be fading away and breaking, falling apart, the irony of that is when those things happen and our hope in everything that we trust is falling, the irony of that is those very broken things uphold the faithfulness of Jesus' words because Jesus has predicted this will happen. And when they fade, Jesus' prophecies remain validated. And along with his, the validated prophecies of these end times also come the validation of every word he's ever said, which includes John 10, 28, where he says, I give eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus' words will remain even when everything else does not. Let's push on. Verse 32. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This begins part two, and it ends part two. It's only verse 32 that's part two, and it's what's uncertain. In the vast array of what Jesus has told us about the end times, there's more that is known than what is unknown. But what is unknown is this. When is it going to begin? If category one, the fall of the, the temple and all of that difficulty is category one and the abomination of desolation begins category two, the question you might be asking is how long do we live in category one before category two begins? If you're wondering that, that is the right question. And Jesus says that that is uncertain to us. But know this, just because time is continuing on maybe longer than we expected, it's not because it's out of God's control. It's not because it's unplanned. It's not because it's unappointed. Notice in verse 32, the Father knows when this will happen, and it's according to his plan. Jesus says the Father does know, but look at who he says doesn't know. The angels do not know. God's personal messengers who minister before his throne daily, they stand before him, they worship him. Do they know when he's going to bring this to pass? No, they don't. No one knows, but look closely. Nor the Son. Jesus himself, at the time of this teaching, he didn't know when these things would transpire. He didn't know when category two would begin. So you may be wondering, why wouldn't Jesus, who we laud as God himself in human flesh, not know something that is so consequential as the date of judgment? Jesus himself is saying that the day of judgment is paramount, so important to us, but he did not know when these events would begin. Why is that? The answer to that question, I would ask you to consider Jesus' ministry, the purpose of his ministry on earth. Jesus accepted from his father a very specific ministry when he came to the earth to become man's propitiation for sin. 
It required a good bit of humility. Namely, it required him to lay down his eternity, his eternal nature, his immortality. He had to lay that down to become a human. He also had to lay down other qualities, his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature. He had to lay that down by the very reason that he was going to die. He had to lay that down. He also had to lay down his omnipresence. Jesus was only at one place at one time. That's why so much of the gospel is, and Jesus walked from this place to the next, and then he slept, and then he got into a boat. There's travel involved. But he also laid down his omniscience. And here is the greatest example that when Jesus came to minister among us in human flesh, he didn't know everything. He laid that down. And some would argue that he probably knows now that he's ascended into heaven when this category begins. And I I think that that's totally beside the point. The point is this. Jesus came to be the perfect example of what humans could be, that what men and women could be. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He, He ministered entirely from the work of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, he exemplifies what all of us could be if we were perfect, and of course, none of us are. But, just like us today, Jesus knew the details of the end times, but not when it would begin. And he lived in that tension, and that that made him able to minister with the right level of urgency. And so we are in the exact same position that Jesus was in. With this limited but sure knowledge of the end times, Jesus was able to live a holy, purposeful life to the pleasure of his Father in heaven. And I would contend with you today that that's the same thing that's available to us. We have a limited but sure knowledge of the end times, and with that tension, we could live in a way that pleases our Father. Let's push through. Part three, how to live. Starting in verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. In verses 33, through the end of the chapter, Jesus uh, gives us repeated charge. He says, stay awake. Or your translation may say, watch. But the literal translation is, stay awake. It's really, really, really interesting. Jesus repeats it four times. And he even tells a parable. He says, stay awake as if, and then he gives a parable. What if you worked at a house and uh, the master of the house left on a long journey, but he was going to come back at a time where you didn't know when he was going to come back. Um, Then he would put people in charge to do the work, and he would set up a doorkeeper, and that doorkeeper's job would be to stay awake. So, stay awake. I tell everybody, stay awake. Jesus tells a parable, but the commandment in his parable is the same as the commandment outside of his parable. What I mean by that is Jesus is saying, Beyond allegory, there's something very real about our lives that resembles slumber, sleepwalking, being checked out. You could be alive, showing signs of of life, and yet checked out. 
Maybe you're checked out right now. The sermon's gone long. But then, then Jesus says, it's, it's terribly important because imagine it's your job to stay awake. If that's, if that's your only job, then that's, that's, that's what he's telling you to do. And then he says, like, what if the master comes by um, in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning? Stay awake. What's interesting there is some commentators say that this may be a codified prophecy of what these very disciples to whom Jesus is speaking will experience in, in just a few days' time. That the sequence of events that will lead to his death on the cross will take place at various points in the night, and there will be times where quite literally he will come to them, that he'll be ready for them to serve beside him, and they will literally be sleeping. And when the rooster crows, and when the rooster crows is when Peter denies Jesus at the very height of importance, this is go time, Peter. Awake, showing signs of life, yet checked out and missing the point. Now, I've heard sermons on this passage that say, that put a heavy emphasis on this part of the parable. Um, Verse 34, when he leaves, that's the man going on a journey, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work. And I've heard very wonderful sermons, I'm not downing them but very wonderful sermons that says, each of you has your works that Jesus has put you in charge of, even relationships, and you've got to do that. You have your own unique skill set, and you need to live up to that because your master is coming quickly. That's, that's solid. That's really, really great. Jesus himself said, do you not know that I need to be about my father's business? Jesus didn't distract himself with other things that were not his bidding. I think that's solid, but I do not think that that's where the weight of this passage is. Four times Jesus says, stay awake. One time he says, servants each with his own work. Four times he says, stay awake. And so I I think the charge this morning is much more abstract than get busy about your own work. To get busy about accomplishing your calling I think it's much more abstract than that. And that's why it was so hard for me to work on this sermon this week because I was thinking about what, what does that mean, stay awake? It's, it's kind of passive. It's not even wake up. I just woke up. Somebody was drifting off in sleep. Probably. I was not really calling you out. That was just a joke. Um, it's not even wake up. It's stay awake. Remain prepared for Jesus' return. What does that mean? I think scripturally, sleep sometimes refers to the deceit of sin, the deceit of darkness. That just like when your body is physically tired, being in the dark lulls you to sleep, to slumber. In the middle of the night, if you need to stay awake, if you're studying, for an exam or to teach a sermon on December 15th, you keep the lights on or you fall asleep. Or if you're sleeping peacefully and your five-year-old or your three-year-old comes and plays with a light switch, you wake up. And so the same illustration is used scripturally that darkness, 
has this hypnotic way of lulling us to slumber into the rapture of its deceitfulness and takes us out of commission. Paul says in Romans 13, verses 11, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What he means is, if you're a Christian today, you were saved yesterday, that day of redemption is coming. And today, you're closer to that than ever. Don't gamble with your time. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't check out. Instead, be a force in the opposite direction. Put on the armor of light. You yourself get woke and wake others. And it's a wokeness that is far beyond just um, justice in the world, which is wonderful. But the greatest, most egregious form of checkoutedness is living like there's no end coming. And so the challenge, one of the challenges I want to give you is that are there any matters between you and God this morning that you're putting off because other things around you have distracted you or seem more pressing? Maybe you're putting off this morning making a decision for Jesus in your own heart. Jesus is saying harness this energy of urgency this morning that he's speaking. He's expressing a level of urgency and he's saying stay in this urgency, stay awake, don't check out, hold on to this. I think a helpful cross-reference here is 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. I'm going I'm to read it out, and I just, uh, you don't have to turn there if you, if you don't want to. Just try to listen intently, because I don't have time to unpack it. Peter says this, the same Peter who fell asleep, the same Peter who denied Jesus, said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. And here's, here's the hard-hitting part. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? and lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That, P, that question that Peter asks is so provocative. Since all these things are going to be dissolved, what kind of people should we be? Slumbering, lulled by the hypnotic deceit of darkness, checked out? Or should we be looking, staying awake, watching, anticipating Jesus' return, and not treating the end times as if it's like this tertiary outer ring issue? It's the very substance of our salvation. Jesus' return in the flesh your redemption in the flesh is the very substance of your salvation. 
We ought to be living prepared for his return, maintaining preparedness for his return. Now, before we close, there's a, there's a reality to the Bible's apocalypse that is terribly fearsome. It's scary. These things that Peter is describing, scary. Peter says, once the world was destroyed by water, and now it's reserved for fire. It's scary. For, for some, though, these end times will not be scary. They will be a terrible relief. For some, Jesus' return will be rescue. When Jesus' redemption of this world is complete, Revelation 21.4 says, He, that's Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What Peter's writing says is this is how God would much rather all of us receive Jesus' return. He says that God is not wishing that anyone should perish, which is why category one is so long. God is being patient. He wants all of us to reach repentance so that way we could be the ones who have our tears wiped away by Jesus, who can experience death removed, pain removed, mourning removed, crying removed, and to receive Jesus' return as a relief and a rescue. That's what God wants. Living in light of the end means that anticipating Jesus' return is at every waking moment. Stay awake. We desire it. We place our hope and comfort in the expectation that Jesus will return. And like a child the night before Christmas, we cannot help but stay awake. How could we fall asleep? We're excited. But it's important for all of us to remember, non-believer, believers alike, that the same Jesus, who will come with great power and great glory and great fearsomeness and great judgment and great redemption, is the one who came with such great humility to die on the cross for you and for me, with great restraint, permitted himself to lay down his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, to be qualified to pay your debt on the cross, to pay my debt on the cross. So why should we be checked out? Are we bored? Are we, in in the words of the great prophet Maximus, are you not entertained? There is, today is the day of salvation. And that day is the day of salvation. But most importantly, Jesus is your salvation. And if you're not a believer today, I welcome you with excitement and joy that I have like a kid before Christmas. Come into that salvation today. There's peace, joy, and anticipation awaiting, and that's really what God wants. There's no need to fear monger for the end times because what God really wants is for all of us to receive our tears wiped away. And so he's being patient. And we continue on for now while he tarries. But stay awake. Stay awake. Let's pray. Jesus, your goodness, your kindness, 
is not cheap. It's also, it's also not empty. It's costly and it's weighty. You gave your life to afford us peace in the redemption of all things. So why should we go down with the ship? I just want to repent for the times that I've been checked out. And I just want to accept from you your challenge four times you tell me today to stay awake. Don't check out. That call can come at any moment. Be excited. Be ready. Tell others. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today that they would uh, have both a great soberness but also a great anticipation, a great excitement, a soberness because we love this world and we love people in this world and we want to see people we love come to know you, but also a great excitement because we love you and we long to see you as we are seen. So even if everything has to fall apart, like the Apostle John the Revelator, as we've discussed before in this sermon series, we say, even so, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.